0: Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of My Old Kentucky Podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me as always is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing well. It, you know, the year has started. We're off. We're running. We've got work to do. I feel like, you know, the first the first work week of the year is always like, you know, everybody took a little bit of time or maybe they didn't work that hard over the holidays and then it's just like a deluge, you know, it's just like everything yeah. needs to get done. So it really is. Yeah. So that's, you know, we're sitting in the middle of that. Um, And, you know, that's also true of the Kentucky government where, you know, we had the elections and we had this nice little period where not a lot was happening. And all of a sudden now we've got the legislature in session. We've got people filing for offices, we've got special elections that are happening. we got people getting sworn in, and all kinds of stuff. So we're going to be talking about all of that today. We're going to start by talking about the beginning of a legislative session. Not a lot has happened, but we're going to go through exactly what has so far and what we can expect in the next couple of days and weeks. And then Jasmine's going to talk to us about a lawsuit, which is something that kind of happened over the break. the uh, the, the Supreme Court uh, dismissed a lawsuit uh that that andy Bashir's governorship had had filed against legislative leaders so she's going to tell us all about that and then we're going to get into one special election that's happening in louisville for morgan mcgarvey's senate seat cassie chambers armstrong it's going to be the democrat in that election so we're going to be talking a little bit about that and then also we're just going to have a short segment about some of uh, the swearing in inaugural addresses kind of the stuff, the stuff that's happened in some of these cities that have both inaugurated new mayors uh, both inaugurated a mayor Louisville's inaugurated a new mayor in Lexington heard from their uh, their incumbent mayor that was reelected as well as several new council members so without any further ado let's talk a little bit about the legislative session Jasmine are you ready for a new legislative session how are you feeling about it
1: I'm never ready
0: no that's true that's exactly right and it's like what fresh hell are you going to unleash upon us this year yeah, uh, um, yeah, you know, we'll see. Uh, the, before the session had started, the, the Republicans had kind of said they wanted to take it a little easy this time, which is something we've heard before, and it not isn't, isn't exactly what they have done. So right we the, the session actually gaveled in for its first legislative day on tuesday january the third. that's yesterday if you're listening to this on the day that we're recording not a lot has happened but there was plenty of pomp and circumstance you know new members getting sworn in uh picked taking of pictures that will soon be on the website uh they were able to elect leaders so they're ahead of the game when it comes to uh le- legislators across the country they of course the uh the u.s house has not quite yet been able to figure that one out uh but you know the 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 Uh, state government has so they they're often running filing bills getting things assigned to committees and such outside the capitol during the first day of the legislative session it seemed like from at least my perspective watching it from the internet and from the coverage of it the biggest rally seemed to be about marijuana the biggest part of the the rally was of course about medicinal marijuana which seems like the easier lift in the legislature but there was a pretty significant portion of that uh you know that was about recreational marijuana as well Representative Nima Kolkarni was one of the main speakers at the rally, as well as uh, Kungo uh, Njunga of the ACLU, uh, who spoke about both decriminalization and expungement. Uh, Lots of folks signed a big board expressing their support. Uh, You know, I I think marijuana has kind of become a perennial topic in the legislature. Governor Bashir has done an executive order about marijuana. Uh, And and I think it's highly likely that it will, you know, suck up some of the oxygen this year for some of the uh, for the the legislative session. But I think the bill with the best shot to pass is the medical one, which was actually able to pass the House last year. Um, But, you know, the rally did include a significant decriminalization uh, component. So, you know, if even if the medical marijuana bill does pass, which would be great, but, uh, you know, just a small step, I don't think this movement is going anywhere. And I think that the people are going to continue pushing towards you know full legalization like we've seen in lots of other states um the the bill that is has made its way through the house is very weak it's not something that strong supporters of marijuana legalization are super pleased with and it still is stymied by robert stivers in the house and i don't think he looks like he's budging off of his position but you know i do i did hear that he was like ask like asking for more study on the issue uh jasmine what's your read on this do you think robert stivers is going to budge on this issue this year
1: they just, uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like that's been the Republican response for a long time is that we need more studies. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know like what more One they would more. need to see. And so I think it's just like making an excuse for not taking it up. Uh,
0: yeah, that's the way it seems to me too. I, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, do you want to tell the people your Robert Stivers joke?
1: It's not my jokes.
0: <laughs> well, you told it to me.
1: Someone else who lives in the area told me that he doesn't want to take up marijuana because he would lose some criminal defense clients. Yeah,
0: yeah. That... I don't
1: know the <laughs> truth, like, if that's true at all. I know nothing
0: about his legal practice. Yeah, uh, yeah. Still a funny joke, even if it's not true. Again, we don't really know what Robert Sivers does down there when he's not being the Senate president. But, uh, you know, it, it would be a little hypocritical if he's taken up all of these criminal defense cases that are about possession of marijuana or distribution of marijuana uh, while preventing that from stopping being a crime, when he probably knows very well that this is not like a threat to our society um anyways moving on not your joke want to be very clear not jasmine's joke just a joke she's repeating uh but one that i thought was funny on the slate for the earliest days of the legislative session is a reduction in the income tax it's something we've been talking about a little bit already um there was another pretty significant rally going on in the capitol this week uh from a group called kentucky together coalition that is calling on the state to pump the brakes on that tax cut Natalie Cunningham, the Outreach Director for Kentucky Policy, as well as Aaron Copeland of KFDC, spoke at length about the problems that could result in those cuts, and they also ran through some numbers. They say that the top 1% will get an $11,000 reduction in their tax bills, while most of the rest of us are going to get about $20. So that's a very stark difference, uh, obviously, and something that is just kind of how income taxes work if you cut a flat tax the people who get the most money back are the people who have the most money that's being taxed and that is money that would have gone to you know do things like support parks support you know even like the police department uh you know if you're a big fan of that which you know uh you know some people like parks some people like the police but no matter what you will like that the government does you can get less of it if you cut the taxes and that money is mostly Mm -hmm. going into the pockets of people who already have a lot of money. Uh, the rally, while you know, I think admirable. A lot of people I saw there, I was a big fan of. But it doesn't seem to be stopping the GOP House, which is expected to pass HB8, which is the tax cut bill, before the end of the week. At the end of the week, as is customary during these short sessions, they will gavel out for about a month. You know, get everything out of the way. Uh, that's kind of just setting the table. But they did want to get at least, at least the House. Uh, get that passed through the House um, for for the for the H B A that will cut taxes. Uh, that that seems to be what they want to do. Um, but we'll see. You know, there there I have heard a little bit about some Republican opposition to this tax cut. I don't think all eighty of their members are going to vote for it. We'll see what the coalition looks like. Uh, but yeah, that is probably something that's on their plate to complete before the end of the week tonight. Governor Bashir is going to be giving his State of the Commonwealth address. Um, you know one thing that's customary that didn't happen the last time you gave one of these addresses is that the, the house and senate didn't do that much work today um, they kind of gaveled in did some business and then gaveled out because the big thing that happens tonight is the state of the commonwealth address this is a speech that during most years is really important uh you know especially if the legislature and the governorship were in the hands of the same party which is like almost always true has been true in kentucky for most of the past 100 years uh you know the, the governor Bevan had a Democratic House to contend with for a small portion of his tenure. And then, um, you know, Governor Bashir obviously has contended with the GOP legislature his entire term. So, you know, his state of the Commonwealth addresses have been a little bit less in importance. But we will get a sense to see what Governor Bashir's priorities are. Of course, it's an election year, so this is really, really important for him. And we will definitely check to see if any of those uh, priorities are acted upon by the legislature. Jasmine, anything that you expect to see in that speech tonight? Um, that we haven't talked about yet,
1: well, i I think that medical marijuana is going to be the big thing, which we did just talk about. but, you know, he's had this task force and um issued this executive order. And so I think that that will definitely be a thing. And then something that I think he needs to address is the ongoing, like juvenile justice crisis mm-hmm. in juvenile detention facilities. and And this is something that, is happening under his administration so i think he needs to talk about it because he's going to get attacked about it in this campaign season and it needs to be fixed like there there have been so many incidents involving um residents at juvenile facilities and also staff members and they're just extremely unsafe right now yeah Um, And so I think that's something that he's got to talk about. tonight too. yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, It's certainly something that he's talked about before, but this would be a much bigger audience that he would be able to bring it to. You know, of course, with issues of criminal justice, especially when it comes to detainment and stuff like that, uh, it it affects directly a smaller group of people than the electorate as a whole. So it does get overlooked a lot. But it has been such a significant piece of news over the past couple of months, um, and it certainly has risen, risen. Uh, you know in the in the top of the stories that that um I'm seeing that, yeah, it certainly is something that needs to get addressed. Of course, you can't really address it without additional money and they're taking money out of the system instead of putting money into the system. Um, and it does also seem like you know, this is also a really fraught situation, Jasmine, just because you know the solutions can be so punitive. um and, and that's a significant right. problem that Governor Bashir has to kind of figure out, like you know, the legislature, is able to spend the money on what they want to do. And if they want to put really punitive measures in place in terms of dealing with this problem, that could be a really significant issue. But, you know, I don't know. It, it's a tough spot for a Democratic governor because, you know, I'm sure that he has some ideas in, in his in his head about what he would like to do. But what he's actually going to get money to do is probably not going to be what his priorities are. And it already is such a dicey situation that, you know, I, it, it is a real tragedy. It's a real problem. We should talk probably more about that in a future show for sure yeah i think you're right though that's probably some of the major things that they're going to be talking about um all right jasmine well that's it for the legislature obviously not a lot going on but jazz uh, but you know obviously we'll heat up quite a bit as time goes along as it always does in the meantime though jasmine tell us about Bashir's lawsuit against legislative leaders
1: okay so i needed a review on what this lawsuit was about because it's been a little while so Last year, Bashir sued to block three bills and a resolution that were passed in the 2021 session. So one of those was House Bill 1 that let businesses, schools, nonprofits, and churches stay open if they meet the COVID guidelines set by the CDC or Kentucky's executive branch, whichever is least restrictive. Senate Bill 1, um, that one limits the governor's ability to issue executive orders during a stage of emergency to 30 days, unless the legislature extends it. Um, And then it also strips the governor and the secretary of state of their ability to change election procedures during an emergency. The third bill is Senate bill two. um, And that one gives legislative committees more oversight and control over the governor's emergency administrative regulations. And then the resolution was House Joint Resolution 77, which was the resolution that terminated Bashir's COVID orders. Um, so, though, that's what Bashir sued to prevent from going into effect. Um, so, last week, the Supreme Court dismissed three defendants named in the lawsuit Senate President Stivers, Speaker David Osborne, and the Legislative Research Commission. The opinion was authored by the outgoing Chief Justice Minton, who just retired, um, and all justices concurred in the decision. So this ruling wasn't a ruling on the merits of the case, whether these bills were unconstitutional. Um, It was about immunity. So these defendants were dismissed due to legislative immunity. And so legislative immunity is something that's in our state constitution Um, Section 43 of the the Kentucky Constitution states that for any speech or debate in either house, they shall not be questioned in any other place. Um, And there's a similar a similar clause in the federal constitution and most state constitutions have something that's nearly identical to that. Um, But I I think the question for this lawsuit is, do all legislative activities constitute speech or debate? So federal courts have read speech or debate broadly and have held the acts of issuing subpoenas, holding committee hearings, voting on bills. Those are all legislative functions that are protected by legislative immunity. Um, But there has been little precedent on this issue in Kentucky, though it has been addressed in Dicta before. So Dicta is something that the court says in an opinion, but it's not the ultimate holding in the case. Um, So basically in this case, um, they published this opinion just because it's never really been a central holding of a case in Kentucky. Um, And they, you know, went with federal courts and other um, surrounding state courts that have all interpreted speech and debate um, to mean that that protects the act of passing bills. Um, The Supreme Court stated that legislative immunity exists to prevent encroachment of the executive and judicial branches into the legislative sphere and protects robust and open debate within the legislative chambers. Um, And here, the governor sued them for their roles in passing laws, and that fits squarely within legitimate legislative act that has to be protected. Um, The court actually went so far as to say that this case is a perfect example of the need for legislative immunity um, because the governor sued members of the the legislature while they were in session, um, and then Franklin Circuit Court enjoined enforcement of the legislation while the session was still going on as well. Um, And then Bashir stated that legislation related to the pandemic would directly violate this injunction from franklin circuit court so the general assembly could be subject to contempt of court um, and so him saying that is an example of the interbranch power struggle that you know, that's why we have legislative immunity and that's what it seeks to prevent. Is what the Supreme court said.
0: So the Supreme court pretty clearly came down on the side of, you know, the legislature on, on this, in this battle. Um, but that's not the end of the case, right? The case still kind of goes on. Not every plaintiff was just like removed from the case. Is that correct? Or does it stop here?
1: So the plaintiff still, or the defendant, not the plaintiff. Ah,
0: I got it wrong. Okay. got it backwards.
1: Um, they're the defendants, So the legislative defendants is what they're known as collectively. They've all been dismissed. Um, but there is still um, a case. Daniel Cameron was also named as a defendant and his case moved in a separate trajectory. Um, and he sought appellate relief from the temporary injunction that was issued by Franklin circuit court. And governor Bashir also lost that appeal Um, And the Supreme Court dissolved the injunction while the case is pending. Um, And so that's why those laws were allowed to go into effect. Um, So that case is now against Daniel Cameron um, and remanded back to Franklin Circuit Court to hear the case on the merits. Um, And so that case was it was unanimous in that they all concurred um, with the author who was Justice Band Meter who's the new Chief Justice. Um, but, but in that case, Justice Hughes wrote a separate concurrence that Justice Minton joined, um, basically saying, you all need to work together and figure this out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be- best of luck on that advice being followed. Uh, I don't know if that's going to make it.
1: Uh, yeah, I feel like the Supreme Court has tried to do that a few times in some of these cases, and
0: I don't think, try. yeah, I don't think stern warnings are going to quite get it done with this governor and this uh, this legislature, especially. But uh, it's it's nice of them to keep trying. So, anyways, the the big thrust of this is about legislative immunity. I mean, from a, a like an academic standpoint, I think it makes sense to me. Uh, but this was not a ruling on the merits. The the merits do still. There are some merits probably here that aren't uh you know that that, that makes sense and it's going to go back and be ruled on the merits with Daniel Cameron as the defendant yes. okay
1: right but but Bashir's lost both of his appeals in, in this case but yeah. it's still it's still hanging on yeah I guess. He's, he's only got to win
0: one no but, but I think like the merits we, we talked about these laws when they were passed I remember them and being like who gets to determine which one is less lenient and you know what there isn't like a lot of There isn't a lot of ruling uh, about like kind of how all this is supposed to work beyond just like doing anything. And also the fact that there are no COVID guidelines anymore mean that like it is kind of academic at this point. But definitely something that would will go towards sussing out what the role of the legislation, what the governor are in, um, you know, in battles like this in the future. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that's interesting. Learned some stuff there for sure. Uh, Now we're going to talk about two smaller stories. Uh, that are kind of like in the wake of the election as the legislatures kind of ramp up. So, you know, Morgan McGarvey. Uh, if you've been following the 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 uh, the speaker drama there in Washington D.C., I've heard his name called several times as he gets to vote on who the speaker should be. That is not something that has been determined yet. Morgan McGarvey yet to be sworn in uh, as a congressman, but um, there will be a special election to fill his seat in the state senate, and the 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 battle the uh, the election is now set in Cassie Chambers Armstrong who's the Democrat currently occupying the 8th District Metro Council seat, has been selected to be the Democratic candidate for that 19th Senate District. Um, The seat is heavily Democratic. I think Cassie Chambers Armstrong should be heavily favored to win, almost guaranteed to win. Um, and, And that would have, I think, pretty significant ramifications for both the Senate and for the Metro Council. So in the Senate, you know, there's a very tiny seven member caucus or in the in the Kentucky Senate. Right. There's a there's a tiny seven member caucus of the Democrats. The leadership has turned over quite a bit. Right. Because, uh, you know, Morgan McGarvey was the leader. He's now in Washington, D.C. I think Dennis Parrott was in leadership and he's now gone. And we now have, you know, reggie thomas who's the caucus chair the 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 uh the floor leader is uh is gerald neal so i think he's the actual leader uh, of the democrats gerald neal of louisville i think the uh and, and then the, the minority whip is david yates so unlike the house democratic caucus which has zero louisvillians in leadership there are two louisvillians in, in leadership in in the senate and and also um two black people who are i believe uh, them and Derek graham are the the three 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 black folks who are in leadership in the uh in the Kentucky legislature. So, anyways, there's been significant turnover uh, in in the Senate, and it's going to be a very interesting caucus that Wait. that. Right, so it's going to be a, a very interesting caucus that she's walking into. Um, you know, I think that she, Cassie Chambers Armstrong, has the the chance to kind of make a mark very immediately in the the Senate. You know, there, there's not a lot of people to talk to on the Democratic side, so she had the chance to serve on several committees, um, really be a voice out there in the Senate. Um, but whether or not she's able to get anything done is is a pretty big question um in the metro council the 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 uh group that she's likely leaving it, it means one of the most stable seats in the metro council is going to be getting its third member since 2017 uh you know tom owen who was the uh the eighth district metro council member served from the inception of Of Metro Council right at the dawn of the 21st century, all the way through to 2017. All right, excuse me, all the way, yeah, all the way through to the 2016 election. Uh, And then Brandon Cohn was elected. He bowed out after a single term. And now Cassie Chambers Armstrong is jumping to the state legislature after just two years. So there will be a person selected to fill the rest of the term. But it's yet to be seen if Metro Council is going to be going with somebody who's interested in the seat for the long term, you know, somebody who is willing to run in the 2024 election and says they want to be doing this forever for a long time or just kind of as a caretaker who can, uh, you know, sit in the seat, um, do do the bidding of the 8th district until voters have a chance to weigh in um, and, and may have a chance to elect somebody who, you know, maybe maybe the voters in the 8th district will look for somebody who's interested in serving in the seat for a long time, maybe has a, more of a passion for <laughs> for Metro Council than the last two people who've sat in the seat. Um, so yeah, I think that there's ramifications all the way down with Cassie Chambers Armstrong choosing to uh, make this jump. Um, we've obviously known that she's been interested in running for Senate for a long time, but I, I mean, to me and Jasmine, you tell me if you feel this way as well. It seems really jarring that somebody is is wanting to jump from metro council to the kentucky senate as a democrat uh cassie chambers armstrong got a lot of stuff done in metro council i mean not uh, very high among them you know she was the person who kind of got the um the uh, safety zone in uh for for the abortion clinic passed um she was really instrumental in in um in a lot of like the 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 stuff involving the eighth district especially around parks and around kind of development in in the eighth district Uh, she did a bunch of stuff she was very active in most of the major things that were going on in metro council especially you know also with the 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 infrastructure money coming in she had a big hand and and seeing how all of that was going to get spent uh and, and yeah she's she's jumping ship to the kentucky senate where i you know is she going to be able to get anything done at all? What is the role that she's going to play, and it? will it be as you know, likelihood, likely, likely to influence change as she had in in the Metro Council? You know, I hope that she gets things done, but I, I don't really see it happening. So, so I mean, what do you think about this jump, Jasmine? Is it as jarring to you as it is to me?
1: I guess like jarring and shocking, or two, or kind of different. Like, so it's not a surprise at all that she is running for the seat because it just feels like it's the natural progression of what we've heard for the last several years that okay mcgarvey wants to run when john yarmouth retires and cassie chambers armstrong wants to run for his seat like that's what you know i'm not even like super connected to local politics but that's just what we've we've heard so i i don't think it comes to a surprise as a surprise but i agree that it's a surprise that someone would want to do it <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and, and you know i'm i you know i've read cassie chambers armstrong's memoir uh I, I decided to take the time out to do that she's gonna it looks like she's gonna be representing me uh for for quite a while i think that's likely to happen um and, and you know it makes sense given her background uh her her kind of passion seems to lie with issues around rural poverty um and and people out in the state which isn't to say i mean she did a lot of good work for people who live in urban areas while she was metro council district eight person uh, you know the representing the folks there in district eight but i mean it is pretty clear to me that the things that she's most passionate about that she's the most animated about are Kind of these issues that affect rural people. She's originally from Owsley County. Um, she moved to Louisville as an mm-hmm. adult. Um, and even when she was practicing law, this is something that I still run into um, when people uh, who are courtroom lawyers are like, who is this person? She was uh, a- apparently a lawyer, but none of us saw her in the courtroom in Jefferson County. And then reading her book, I realized that she was doing a ton of work in the Collar counties, uh, in and around. Louisville. So, you know, maybe people who spent all of their time in the Jefferson County courtroom may not have seen her that much. But maybe if you went to Spencer County or Bullitt County or Oldham County or Trimble County or something like that, you might have seen her more often. So so that's kind of where her passion lies. And I, I kind of understand it, but I still am just kind of you know, it's not. I mean, confusing, shocking. Those are probably not the right words, but it is just still kind of like a. I don't know. I don't know even know the best way to describe this emotion. I said jarring, but I. I guess I'm gonna go with that. It's just kind of a strange emotion to watch that somebody would be interested in doing this. But she is, and there she goes. Uh, hopefully yeah, she's and, yeah. Go ahead. And
1: somebody needs to, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's <laughs> in a, that's true.
1: The that strongly democratic. We need one
0: to yeah. want to do it. Yeah. Um,
1: and. I think you're right that she's been like a super like active member of Metro council. And I would expect that same thing from her in the Senate too. I think that um, she can build and and Morgan McGarvey did this as well. So I think she could be pretty similar to him, like build relationships with Republicans based around certain bipartisan issues. Like um, for example, Um, senator philip wheeler Mm -hmm. from eastern kentucky is very like pro worker Mm -hmm. when it comes to like workers compensation and and things like that and so like i think she'll like find find allies on certain issues and be an active legislator like morgan mcgarvey um but may not get to have her name on as the chief sponsor of a lot of bills that get passed. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And and being able to like provide support for somebody like a Philip Wheeler, who while very supportive of workers comp stuff is like fire, like extremely anti trans and very anti LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um figuring out ways to, to, to do that is, is is worthwhile. And we're talking about this like it's a crazy move. David Yates made the exact same move, like not that long ago, right? He did yeah. exactly the same thing.
1: And you know yeah, he was Metro Council president.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and made the same jump. And, uh, you know, from all indicators, he seems to be enjoying himself. I saw him at the mayor's inauguration and he's growing his hair out. So he looks real cool uh, with long hair. So there you go. Uh,
1: Yeah. We're just like providing all kinds of extra news.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, In case you're interested, her opponent in the special election will be Misty Glynn, one of the Liberty candidates for school board who did quite well against Corey Schull. I think she was working really hard. Corey Schull uh, seemed to um, be busy uh, with with things that were uh, maybe not necessarily running for school board and still won. So good for Corey Schull. But that's going to be uh, the election. It's on February 21st if you live in the 19th Senate District like I do. So there you go. Um, that is when the special election is. That's who it will be between. And that's all we have to say about that. Last thing to talk about are the the, the swearing-ins that happened uh, over the past week, mostly this week, um, as kind of the new year dawned and people were sworn into office. Uh, Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg, he was sworn in Monday morning and gave his inaugural address. It was very much in line with his campaign, heavy on discussion of public safety and policing, but trying to walk that fine line and saying that public safety is not just policing and speaking towards uh, lots and lots of violence, intervention, prevention strategies. Um, I was there. It seemed to be well received in the building. But of course, the folks who are there are big fans of the mayor by and large. I think many, many people in the city uh, across the political spectrum are interested in starting a new mayoral administration, kind of even if you remained as one of uh, Greg Fisher's fans. I think you are ready to start something new. Uh, we're ready to get um, moving on the ne- the next thing. Um, so we're, we're we're I'm really interested to see what happens out of the gates for for Mayor Greenberg. Obviously, first I, the, the the trajectory of new administrations is often like. A high like honeymoon period that lasts a short period of time, and then reality checks that happen uh, sometimes as soon as a few months, but up to like a year later. So you know that's likely going to happen. He's going to do some stuff that makes a lot of people mad in the near future. We'll see what it is. We'll see how they act. Uh, we'll see how he reacts to, to the negative feedback he gets. Um, you know, it's it's all part of it, and we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with him. Um, I you know I've been already pretty impressed with his willingness and openness to, like, talk to people, meet with people, see people, see uh, you know, look them in the eye and tell them he's uh, interested in hearing what they have to say. Um, you know, there were a lot of strengths that Greg Fisher did have. That wasn't necessarily one of them. Um, so I do think it's kind of fresh on that level. So we'll see uh, what what he's able to do. Um, did you get a chance to see any of the inaugural address, Jasmine? or what do you think about the, the very early days of the Greenberg administration so far?
1: I didn't get to see it. So... Monday was also when um, new judges had their investiture. Oh, yeah, right. I was getting ready to go to that um, when Greenberg was inaugurated. And I think from the highlights that I caught on Twitter, it it, it does sound very much like his campaign. Um, And I I think there's definitely, you know, he may not have been who... More progressive Democrats like wanted to win the election, um, but I I think now there's maybe like an energy and some hope that like this this administration can be better mm-hmm. um, than the Fisher administration, and, and I think you're right that almost everyone, <laughs> I was maybe everyone um, is kind of ready to move on and ready for something new. Yeah, um, and I also think you're right about. One of his strengths being good at, like, listening to people and being open to hearing what they have to say. Um, Because I I know people that went to, there's kind of like an open house after the swearing-in where he just, like, talked to and met people for three hours. Um, And and he, he listened and offered input and said he'd look into this and... Um, I I think he's been good at that. So it's just a question of um, is he going to follow up on these things that, that people are bringing to him?
0: Yeah, it just kind of last on that piece. You're, I, I thought that that kind of reception that he held was just a great read of the electorate because, like, he did that in place of like an inaugural ball, which is typically what you use to raise money for your inaugural committee, you know, which kind of goes towards fundraising for your administration or for your next campaign, where, you know, you sell tickets for a couple thousand bucks a piece um, and, and everybody dresses up and they dance and there's like a big plate of dinner. And he's like, I don't think people are interested in seeing their mayor do that. So we're not going to do that we're just going to have an open house and everybody's going to come in and i'm going to talk to everybody you know it maybe it's just surface level maybe nothing comes of it but i just felt like that was a really good read on things um and i agree yeah. that that was uh that was a good move by craig greenberg all right 80 miles to the east lexington held a big ceremony for everybody elected to lfucg council as well as mayor linda Gordon. The Herald-Leader gave top billing to Dan Wu. I mean, when they were talking about the event where everybody was speaking, they didn't talk as much about Linda Gordon as they did about Dan Wu, who's the new vice mayor, and also the owner of Atomic Ramen there in uh, Lexington. So if you're a fan of Atomic Ramen, the guy that owns the place is now the vice mayor. Um, he Dan Wu talked about the diversity in the new council. We've talked about that before too, but there are several new people of color that have been elected. Especially, I think like two or three black women that are new to the council that are on there, as well as you know a a Latina woman. Um, You know that, that it is a much more diverse council than it ever has been there in Lexington. Dan Wu said, "quote We are not here to check off boxes." We are here to bring our unique voices, perspectives, and living experiences to city government, unquote. You know, I think that that's a great speech to be like, we're not just tokens. We're here to to legislate from our experience and talk about what we're able to do and what we want to do in the future. Of course, there is some, some consistency. Mayor Linda Gordon highlighted her administration's work during the last term and about her passion for the future of Lexington. So there in Lexington, you know... I'm really interested to see kind of what happens there. The, the council there is going to be a lot different than it kind of really ever has been in the past. Uh, there, there's a lot of folks that were elected who are quite a bit. Um, probably more progressive, definitely more, uh, definitely more, uh, you know, diverse from uh, a race and ethnicity perspective, um, and and that is going to have, I think, some significant repercussions. Like this is a city where they still do like an invocation with a prayer before they uh, have these inauguration things. They still play in my old Kentucky home at the end, and everybody's kind of expected to sing. Like it, it that it's a little different than than Louisville in that regard. And I think some of these new people. Are bringing a very different energy to uh, to the council, and to see how that council and Mayor Linda Gordon are able to work together, uh, if they're able to make any progress, is something that we're going to be watching really closely. Uh, Jasmine, what are, what are your expectations for the early days there in Lexington City Government?
1: Yeah, i I think this council term is going to be pretty different. You know, Lexington City Council is nonpartisan, but they you're right they do have. A very progressive council now um and very diverse and so i and i think that there are people um on the council who probably want to see more progress and change and i think dan Wu is definitely one of those people um i don't know you know i'm not in lexington anymore and so um i don't have like a good read on like what exactly it's gonna look like in the early days or what those priorities are, but it's definitely a different council than it has been. I think there I think there are five Emerge women on the city council. Wow. Um and then also Tana Fogle is another um progressive black woman who was elected. Yeah and so it's very different.
0: Yeah, she's a former former felon who has been advocating for the rights of, of former felons for a very very long time, uh, and is now a, a representative. I mean, she fought really hard to even just get her voting rights back. It has an amazing story about that, and then mm-hmm. uh, you know has gone on to now. Now, be an elected representative of the people, which is a really cool story. Um, And everybody on that council, all the new folks, a lot of them have really great, interesting stories to tell. You know, these are all speeches. These are inaugural speeches where people are saying stuff. And, and, you know, I'm kind of a person who's more interested in actions than words. Uh, But, you know, we there's a lot to look forward to. There's a lot that's likely going to be happening in these city governments in the next six months, in the next year. Uh, People are going to get mad people are going to get uh, people are going to be happy. There's some people that are going to win battles, there's people that are going to lose battles. And we're going to be here to pay attention to all of that as it happens. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested in city level government in the next year for sure. Uh, and you know, of course, still very interested in the legislature as its 2023 session uh, unfolds for us but you know that's it for this week governor Bashir speaks in about 45 minutes i'm either going to be watching that or c-span uh to see if we're able to elect a speaker of the house in dc it's just going to be a real social studies nerd moment night to me uh for me tonight uh, i don't know if you're going to be sharing <laughs> any of those uh any of that time jasmine but that's what i'm going to be doing um anyways uh anything else we need to talk about
1: no i think that's it i think you know, next week we'll we'll probably have a lot more to say about the session. It's kind of started out slow this week, but there's a lot to come.
0: All right. Well, Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us?
1: They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old Pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter. You can subscribe to it at tinyletter.com/slash my old Kentucky newsletter. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at patreon.com slash myoldkentuckypodcast. And last but not least, we're part of the DimCast Network and the Ford Kentucky Network.
0: All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.